Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Judah Freelander may be best known for playing TV writer Frank Rossitano on the hit NBC sitcom 30 Rock, but Judah has been making his appearance felt on screens big and small for many years, with or without his trademark trucker hats. From his roles in films such as American Splendor, The Wrestler, Wet Hot American Summer, and Meet the Parents, from a bar patron in Star Wars The Force Awakens, to comic relief in the Project Greenlight horror film Feast, Judah Freelander truly is the world champion. He has two books, How to Beat Up Anybody, an instructional and inspirational karate book, and a collection of drawings called If the Raindrops United. His first stand-up special is almost three decades in the making. Judah Freelander's America is the Greatest Country in the United States is now available on Netflix. So let's get to it! So Judah Freelander, we finally meet again. I've been interviewing you for more than a decade now, since even before I moved to New York. I remember when you used to take, like, the bus or the subway. You'd be, like, you know, checking out some show in New York or reviewing it or whatever. And then you'd be, like, hopping on that late-night train or bus. <laughs> yes, yeah, the late-night, the overnight bus back to Boston. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. I love the dedication. <laughs> and then I remember when the comic strip was, like, trying to set, like, the world record for longest continuous show. Oh, yeah, I was Which there. they did. It may have been broken by now, but I don't know. But I remember, yeah. I think it was... I don't know how many hours it was. It was 50. 50 hours. But I think yeah. you were there without breaks for 50 yeah. hours. Yeah. I brought my laptop and... Yeah. No <laughs> breaks. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, that's that's more of a record, actually, than what the comics did. Because there were, you know, there were, there were probably, you know, 40 comics over 50 hours. Right. They only had to do and, a half hour or an And hour. you were there the whole time by yourself. That's pretty awesome. I brought toothpaste and... Uh, fortunately, Fortunately, that, that world record was uh, sponsored by Red Bull. So they had a... A giant oh, thing, a Red Bull can. Interesting. So that helped a lot, too. This is uh, much more comforting here in the studio at Showbird Studios. This is very nice. How does, how does this equipment compare with the old fangle audio thing I see you carrying with you at the cellar or the stand around New York City? Oh, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's... I mean, this stuff is great, but, you know, there's so much... You know, compare technology, mm -hmm. the ease of technology today to like this 80s or 70s it's like you know i mean everyone has a phone you 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 just click the record button and right. you kind of get a perfect picture every time people a lot of people don't realize or maybe they or if they're older they've forgotten it's like back in the day you had to like even if you weren't a professional photographer you right. had some basic photography knowledge and skills just to get the it exposed properly right what what so. do you use as an audio record because you don't use your iphone you use for what? For what I'm doing stand-up shows? Yeah. Oh, I have an old uh, little audio recorder. I, I, I put it in my, my pocket, and I usually wear, like, some kind of a lavalier and you know, just record. How long have you had that recorder, though? You know, I've had so many over the years, and they've broken and stuff. The mm -hmm. current one that I'm using, they don't make anymore. Maybe it's five years old. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, you talk about um, you used to have to have skills as a recording as a photographer yeah and i mean you still do but right but you but i mean just to get it used to be just to get a picture that was in focus and the exposure correct you had to have often some basic 
photography right. knowledge, and now you don't. Yeah. Well, that that reminds me, one of your more amazing credits is that when you were still a teenager at NYU, you were you were. I did of- go there, but I don't mention it because I didn't I didn't like it there. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I view I view school and mm-hmm. education as something that's so important, but I think it's often done so badly uh, in this country. Where, like, I always hated school. I love learning, but I hated school because school usually not only do they they have you just memorize things. They right. don't really you, you don't they don't really do things where. You vocalize your opinion, or where you have to think. Right, it's more like teaching to a test. Yeah, and learn these things. Yeah, learn these dates and numbers. But even more than that, they're actually. I remember being against you thinking for yourself and vocalizing your opinion. You know, because I remember even having to like read some books, mm-hmm. and then you would have to read some literary critics and what they said about those books. And then you write a paper summarizing the book and the literary critics and what they said about it. I'm like, well, what about what you think about it? You know? Right. So that's one thing I always hated about. And I, I think that's how school shouldn't be. You know, people need to think. You know, it, it sounds like you're still running for president. No, not running for president. <laughs> Standing for president, Sean. Sorry. Heroes don't run. They stand and fight. <laughs> That's how I do it. But back when you were still a teenager, when you were a school-age youngster mm-hmm. in New York City, mm-hmm. you were part of a documentary project filming a, a young Chris Rock. Yeah, I, I think I'd already started stand-up. I started stand-up when I was 19. I started yeah. in 89. <clears throat> so a friend of mine, uh, Mike Dennis, great guy, he's got a – he actually has a really, really cool YouTube channel called Real Black, uh, mm-hmm. R-E-E-L Black. Um, and he actually has tons – of recent interviews before he passed, legendary, um, I'm, I'm just blanking on Dick Gregory. Oh. I don't know why I, I blanked there. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big Dick Gregory fan. So anyways, he has tons of interviews the past oh, yeah, couple I years. Oh, yeah, I saw those. Yeah, where of, they were, of Dick Gregory. Dick and Gregory's so if, if anyone's a Dick a Gregory fan or you want to learn more about him, you know, it's, uh, that's some cool stuff to check out. Um, so anyways, it was Mike Dennis's short film uh, who does who today does, does Real Black TV on uh, YouTube. He made a little documentary in 88 or 89, I mm-hmm. can't remember, on, on Chris Rock. And uh, it was, you know, it was a, like a 10-minute movie, and it was called Who is Chris Rock? Because Chris was his favorite comic. And so we um, followed him to – so I did – I think I did a little bit of the camera work on it. I did some of the sound recording on it. And it uh, – so we went to his house and where he grew up in Bed-Stuy. I remember that's where I first met Tony Rock. And uh, and I remember, like, I think it's in the movie where, where uh, Mike asked Tony, he's like, who's the funniest person in this house? And Tony goes, I am. <laughs> and uh, so, and then, you know, it was funny because I remember when years later when Tony first started doing comedy, it's like, you know, we reconnected about all that stuff. Right. So, so, so that was cool. Uh, yeah, so I was just, um, I, I think IMDb or Wikipedia has one of those things wrong where they say I started out as a sound man on the Chris Rock show on HBO, <laughs> but that's not true. Right. They, um, did, they took the pieces yeah, and they I, glued yeah, I think them together I was, wrong. I think I was 19. I can't remember. It was like, I was like 18 or 19 or something like that. But you were just getting started in stand-up yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't remember if I had just started or if – yeah, I think I had already started. I okay. think I would already done it like a couple times. I, th- I think it was 89, that movie. I think it was 89. Yeah. Did you know that Chris was going to be? Oh, I was a fan of his already. Yeah, I was a fan of his already because to me he already was a big star. He um, 
he because uh, I'd, I'd already seen him on the Joan Rivers show, mm. and he was on. Uh, he may have already had a cameo in. Uh, um, I'm going to get you, sucker. Uh, he was, he's got a hilarious scene in that uh, one rib. Uh, yeah, 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 and uh, and then he may have also had a little scene or two in Beverly Hills Cop too. I can't okay. remember. So to me, you know, he he was already a big name, but I mean, he wasn't nearly you know the the name that he is today. But right. but yeah, so I, I already I already viewed him as a guy who was a huge success. Yeah. What did What did you think of your own career prospects then? Oh, back. I mean, when I first started, man, I think. You know, I think all I all I ever wanted to do was just work all the clubs here in the city in New York, you know, and, and just do that. To me, that just seemed like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And you're yeah. still doing that. When you're yeah, not and on I the still road. do that. Yeah, when you're not on the road. Yeah. So you are yeah. living living yeah. that, that challenge. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. You know, but then, you know, after you do it for a while, you realize, oh, the, the comedy scene is there's more to the comedy scene than just New York City, you know, Um you know, when I first start out, I don't even think of that. You know, I think of like, oh, yeah, I was just in New York. I didn't even think about getting on TV shows or anything. That that wasn't even like a desire of mine. I just wanted to work the clubs in the city. That was the desire. I was like, that just seemed cool. Were Do, you... Doing talk shows didn't seem like something cool or anything. Mm -hmm. But doing the clubs, that seemed cool. Were you a fan of character comedy then? Um, you know, I was always – that's an interesting question because uh, – well, like Rodney Dangerfield, but you can consider him a yeah. character comic. Yeah. yeah. But he's also a one-liner comic. I mean, he's a joke comic. You know, he's not a storyteller. He does, you know, right, great, great one-liners. Rodney but Dangerfield also a is a character right, he created. Right, right. But I'm saying also a character, a persona. Yeah. You know, I don't know. The word character sometimes I'm not... It all depends on what your definition of a character or persona is. Uh, well, no, Rodney is a great example to bring up because yeah. that's because people don't think of that as a character. Whereas Paul Rubens is Pee Wee Herman. That's definitely a character. Right, there's different levels of characters. Right. So, I guess. Um, so no, I mean, I was a big uh, when I first started, um, or maybe like right before I first started. Well, first of all, I used to listen to like I grew up where I grew up in Maryland. They actually had a radio station, an AM radio station. It was mm -hmm. called WJOK. It was a 24 hour comedy radio station mm -hmm. on AM. This is in the early 80s. This is like 82 or so something. So it's at the very beginning of the boom. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't. I don't, I don't know yeah. the. Uh, um, I'll, I'll let that be your area of expertise. I don't know. So, but anyways, it was like, so I remember like, you know, going to school and, you know, usually we walk to school, but every, you know, I don't know, every once every four months or something, we, we get a ride, you know? Mm -hmm. So I remember once our, our dad driving me and my brother to school and, 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 uh, Don Rickles is on and I didn't know who he was at the time. I think I'm, you know, 12 or something yeah. like that. Oh my God. I was laughing so hard. You know, he was just, you know, just rip it on the audience and I just loved it. And my dad is you know, pretty well, uh, his comedy knowledge of stand-up comedy is, is, is pretty good. You know, like he had, I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, he had, uh, the, you know, one or two of the Lenny Bruce albums okay. and, and, uh, he actually saw Lenny Bruce once, uh, in, in the sixties in, in the East village, right on, uh, second Avenue, 12th street. Um, there used to, what's, it's now a movie theater, but it used to be, uh, uh, a oh, theater is it theater classics or something like yeah that? yeah that one that used to be if you google it it used to be like a theater theater okay. and he saw like lenny bruce there in the 60s and so anyways it was um so is your brother older or younger he's a year and a half older okay yeah um so he, um yeah so you know i i never i mean yeah i was a fan of comics like that but i it, it was just really comic to comic it, it wasn't like 
I was a kid, I was like, I like character comics or I like persona comics. It was right. just like, I love Ronnie Dangerfield, you know, and then uh, I, I love a little later, I was like, I love Stephen Wright. And then it was like, uh, uh, I love Sam Kinison, you know, uh, uh, there was a guy, John Mulrooney, who was one of my favorite comics. Uh, I remember seeing that. And he would TV. do, I mean, just a monster with crowd work, a monster, you know, so good, you know, and then when I started, uh, like around 87, I started, this is right before I started going up. I started wanting to be a comedian in 85. And 85 is when I realized you could do comedy. Is that why you moved to New York from Maryland? Well, I kind of, you know, my dad's from Brooklyn. Okay. And, and so even though, you know, you know, he raised you know me in Maryland, it was like, you know, um, we would always do trips up to New York. So I remember coming up to New York in 81 and staying at the Hotel Edison, which was a, a total shithole. Yeah, in the 80s. This giant yeah. roach infested, and it's right in Times Square. And <laughs> I remember they had, they had there, there were three Playlands back then, and Playland was these uh, video arcade game places that were 24 hours, very dangerous. It was just – so it's like you'd be playing, you know, Pac-Man, and you got to worry about – people just bumping you because it's so crowded then people bumping you on purpose and right. you got to worry about getting strong-armed or robbed and right. so fucking exciting it was, it was awesome <laughs> pickpocket yeah. stabbing yeah, it made the game more kidnapping. exciting you know it wasn't like today where you can just pause it and then you know do whatever this was it was fucking intense it was great so <laughs> it's I, like you're playing one video game yeah. you're playing Ms. Pac-Man but then you're also involved in Human Frogger right right, you're right. Or Pitfall. It, it, it's, it's or a Pitfall. life or death game in the video game and in real life it was very very exciting so so 85 so I, so I, lo so I always loved New York so right. there was a TV show that came on late at night called Comedy Tonight with Bill Boggs. Okay. And I wasn't allowed to stay up late. I had very strict parents. But we, in 1985, we got a VCR. So I programmed it once to like was record this thing. USA or was that? It was syndicated. syndicated so, okay. so, um, so literally, so John Mulrooney was on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember seeing Bob Saget before he had any other TV credits. He, you know, he played a guitar too and sang all these just twisted songs <laughs> and did twisted, you know, perverted sexual mm -hmm. jokes. And, and then... Uh, um, went so, so many guys, you know. So and but but most of them were guys. That, none of them were household names. You hadn't right. heard of them before, and um, and then uh, so after their set, sometimes Bill Boggs would go to them. He go, uh, so uh, so what's going on? What are you doing? They'd be like, oh yeah, hey, I'm at uh, Caroline's this weekend, you know. And I was like. And then and then he would go, yeah, Caroline's. I love that club. It's such a nice club. It's my favorite club. And I just remember going, oh, this is. There's places where you can do this, you know, because before I'd see, you know, Roddy Dangerfield, mm -hmm. you'd see Bob Hope, you'd see Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy. It never occurred that you could do that. And then these guys, I was like, I'm like, oh, there's places where you can do. I'm like, I want to do that. So in 85, I, I you know, I started writing jokes, mm -hmm. you know, and then, uh, um, you know, and so I, I made like, you know, 89 was like my deadline. I like got to get up there. So in 89, you know, I did my first open mic. Which was 89 an age? Deadline? Or? No, it was like I wanted to do it before I was twenty. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so so that so that happened to be eighty nine. Okay. You know, so uh, so yeah, so the first place I did it was uh, Garvin's in uh, D.C. Okay, which is no longer there. That used to be, but, like, that, the, but club. that was the place. That yeah. was the club in D.C. Yeah, so I remember uh, Rich Scheidner telling me about that place. Did he start out there? I can't yeah. remember that. I think you were. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, I remember it was um, it was. Uh, I remember, I think I'd get there at like six o'clock and I didn't go up to like 11. And, you know, I don't, you know, when you first started out, it's like, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I put together what I think is going to be five minutes mm -hmm. and you just go up and give it a shot. So, the, so right before I go on, the host comes to me and goes like, you're next. I'm cutting you to three. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, how do I, how do I, 
do my, you know, and so literally the past five hours, I'm in the parking lot, I'm in the bathroom, just saying my act over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Cause in timing it or no, no, just, just, uh, you know, I'm nervous, right. you know, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was very introverted. So I was, uh, so I, and I remember the guy before me was eating it so hard and then the crowd was like filtering out. So I realized, you know, later, not then that the guy was actually trying to do me a favor. Right. He was trying to get all the comments on say, before like, the audience leaves. Like now you, yeah, that, now you realize how great that yeah, was yeah, to be eating so, it before. Right, you. right. Before I, I was like, I wasn't even angry at him. I was just in panic mode. How do right. I cut my act from five to three? Mm-hmm. Like, like, what do I do? You know? So, so anyways, I went on, I actually did okay. I did pretty well. But it just felt right. It felt warm. It felt relaxing. It just felt right. Um, so, and then today, you know, stand-up comedy is the most relaxing thing I do. So, what was your initial persona on stage? Well, again, it was it was very uh, joke heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, one liners. Yep. Uh, and it was very uh, crowd work heavy. And was that because of your love of Mulrooney or, or Mulrooney, just the uh, you know, Rickles, uh, you know, and then, you know, some guys in the city back then, Mike Sweeney. Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, I think he's head writer at Conan or mm-hmm. I think he's been doing that for years or maybe he's the producer now. I don't yeah. know. But he used to host at the cellar a lot. OK. And so I, I used to see him there. So funny. So smart. And, you know, unique crowd work, you know, just 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 brilliant at it you know so i i always loved the two of those you know and you know guys like you know uh dice and kinnison uh i love those guys i didn't like you know both of them had some you know some stuff that was bigoted you know that that i that i didn't like but right. they had other stuff that was that was excellent you know that i loved you know um so you know at the time you know i'm not viewing those guys as characters but you might say their characters are heavy persona. Yeah. So, so, but when I first started, if I had any persona, you know, I was 19, so I was younger than most of the people, and I was a young-looking 19, you know. You didn't have this beard. No, no. I had long hair, but I didn't have the beard. Uh, that came later. I <laughs> didn't have the, wasn't able to do the uh, the, the facial hair back then so at, at 19. But, you know, I was very, you know, young-looking. So mm-hmm. a lot of my stuff was... I, I again, it was like a lot of dark, twisted stuff I did, but it was from sort of this, uh, you know, fake naive kind of point of view, like right. coming off as this innocent person, but then this really like sick, twisted, you know, bizarre stuff coming up, you know. So if there was any persona, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Did did the the idea of becoming or naming yourself the world champion did that come out of the crowd work or it was a mix of both? It was something that it just sort of happened naturally. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the exact years, but I'm guessing maybe around 20 or so years ago, you know, I started, I always did a lot of art, you know, did, yeah. did, I did, car, I did political cartoons when I was 11. You, you, know? had, you had a book come out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple of years ago, if the raindrops united, which is, uh, and that's all your drawings and yeah, cartoons and drawings. A lot of them, you know, satire on, you know, all the big human rights issues. And in the introduction of that, I, I have a cartoon, uh, from when I was 11 about, uh, Polish uh, workers' rights leader, uh, Lech Walesa, and how he was imprisoned. And uh, so I'm like, so I was 11 and I was into that shit. You know, I'd forgotten about that. Um, so uh, what was the question? I'm forgetting. Becoming uh, the world champion. Oh, yeah, the world champion. Right. So your cartoons like, make I, me think that I, it was like a superhero. Becoming well, your own was, superhero. You know, I was really into superheroes as a kid. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I made my own little superhero comic book once. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, I, I what was that called? Fraxman. Fraxman. Yeah. What was Fraxman's F- power? F-R-A-X-M-A-N. I'd have to ask my mom because I don't even remember. But I have a little <laughs> comic book about what he It seemed like he could just really do anything. It seems like uh, huh. oh, he was just a cool dude who can do anything. Uh, like the world champion. Yeah. So, um, so initially, you know, I started making my own hats around 20 years ago. I was always, uh, I always thought it was bizarre. I remember my dad being a kid, you know, he'd always be like, you know, like he hated the labels on clothes. He always mm-hmm. just thought it was, you know, this this big clothing company mm-hmm. pulling a scam on you. You know, they make you pay for the shirt, and then you walk around every day advertising their company. He's like, "Fuck that bullshit," you know. Yeah, so, so I had an I had yeah. an alligator on my sweater. I never had any of those. Every yeah. but every class photo in elementary school, there was a different alligator. Hilarious. <laughs> so I I Hilarious. can identify with that. Yeah. So we never did any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we. My parents were very, very, very thrifty. We never went for the alligator clothing. Okay. We uh, always had the uh, the alligator logo clothing. Mm-hmm. Always, but anyways. Uh, so, like I said, I always did a lot of art, and I did animation when I was a kid, and and you know filmmaking with little Super Eight movie cameras. So then, uh, so I started like getting blank hats, and then you know making my own hats basically, and then I did a lot of I like I said I always did a lot of crowd work and did a lot of. Uh, you know, jokes, you know, one-liners and jokes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I'm, and at the time, I remember I was doing a lot of jokes about these ridiculous world records that I had achieved. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with setting the world records. And when I was eight, I tried to break the Guinness Book of World Records for pogo sticking, oh. like continuous pogo yeah, sticking yeah. without missing. I think at the time, the world record was eight hours by some guy in England. Now, I'm eight years old. Right. And when you're eight, Eight hours is a really long time. Oh, no, it's forever. Yeah. So I did an hour straight without missing when I was eight. But like I said, an hour straight for an eight-year-old, that's like, <laughs> I don't know how many adult hours that is. <laughs> but so I was just like, I could have kept going and going, mm-hmm. but I was so bored. I was like, all right, I don't think I want to break this record. This is way too yeah. fucking boring. So, but I was really into it. So, so I always loved that kind of stuff. And I used to read the Guinness Book of World Records when I was oh, a yeah. kid. I and so I, I started writing all these just ridiculous athletic achievement jokes, mm-hmm. you know, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago or something like that. So I initially made a hat that said record breaker. Okay. And, and then so then that would sort of, you know, people would ask me questions like, what is that? And then yeah. that would kind of lead me into my joke. So it was a okay. mix of of almost like a lure to get audience to ask me questions and then I could go into jokes about it. So it, it, it kind of worked. And then one day I thought, oh, it'd be funny if I made a hat that said world champion, but not of what? Because then that'll really get draw them in. Right. Then you they'll know? go, what so, are you the world so, champion so was, in? So, and then I would just go on all these you yeah. know, ridiculous feats. You know, I used to have a joke about, you know, bowling a 300 with a golf ball and, you know, and on and on and on. You know, so um, I, uh, so initially it was sort of like this, this bragging kind of character. You know, the guy who's so insecure, he's got to always be bragging about himself. And then also did a lot of the one-upping and, and stuff like right. that. So... And part of that also came from, I remember at the time, it seemed like most comics um, were always trying to talk about stuff and like, hey, you ever notice this and this? And then do some bit of it, like bonding with the audience. Right. I decided I want to do the opposite. I don't want to bond with the audience. I want to act like I'm so much fucking better than them. <laughs> and I remember I used to do, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the rooms I would do were very tourist heavy. And... Maybe it's still somewhat this way, but not as much because New York was a more dangerous city back then. 
You could be the toughest guy from wherever you came from, but if you're new to New York, you kind of just turn into a wimp because you're like, I don't know how to get there, which way is this? You know, so I kind of played up on that as here I am. I can't bond with any of you people because you're just so inferior to me. <laughs> and uh, and then right, you so know, that really changes the crowd work because then right, it's, right, then it's and not then, just then, asking and, you what and, you do and then, for a living. And then it's I like, had the world champion thing, so it was, and I can't remember exactly at what point was what, but it was just sort of this natural progression, you know, where I had started doing that. I'm just so much better than you stuff uh, before I had the world champion hat, I think, and then I had the idea to do the the world champion hat, and that would lead me into these athletic achievement jokes I had done, and it fit in with me doing the opposite of what other comics were doing where they're trying to bond with the audience, trying to be like their buddy who's telling them a funny story. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not their fucking buddy. I'm they're, they're not, they're, I'm just so fucking humanly superior to these people. I can't fucking, you know. So it's just me. So, so then it became not the bragging. It became the world champion. Then eventually the next phase was it kind of became real. Like, hey, this, this isn't some idiot bragging. This is actually this uh, superhuman who's just actually being really fucking humble and just <laughs> mentioning these things that just yeah. happen to be humanly impossible for everyone else. But for me, they just come naturally. Right. So that's, and then and you have another book about that, how to right. beat up anybody. With right. Right. Your which karate is karate book. Right. And then it became at the kind of the same time, it was also kind of not so much overtly, but a little bit more subver subversively a satire on the narcissism of our country and the world, you know, when right. MySpace starts coming in, you know, because, I mean, we've always been a, a me, me, me uh, kind, of, kind of a country. Yeah. And not just we're number one, just like, look at me, look at me, you know, like, I remember my, I, I played a lot of sports as a kid and even a fair amount as an adult. And I remember my dad was always, he always hated the show-offs, he hated the hot dogs, he liked the guys who just did a good job and didn't fuck didn't showboat you right. know so the world champion Lunch pail guys. so the so the world the world champion was also about mocking and satirizing the showboaters you know and then and then later like i said like the myspace the facebook mm -hmm. coming it's 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 a satire on this you know self-inflection narcissism stuff how how quickly did you start adding the t-shirt and the jacket and the whole i can't outfit? remember well you know i, I again you know like on the the special I have now, I don't really delve into this. This stuff is all there on on some level, but it's really I, I don't really do jokes about it mm -hmm. in it. But I um, you know, I started so at some point it started becoming. I started adding like the in addition to this narcissism, the macho ness of the not just sports but of martial arts. You know this right. this sort of uh, you know. Uh, this sort of because um, it's funny, you know. Sometimes the martial arts they try to act like, oh, it's this great thing and just makes you a better person and stuff. But ultimately, it's just kicking someone in the fucking face <laughs> as hard as you can and as lethally as you can. You know, right. so That's it's what just, the movies are so, all about. So, so, so it's kind of so, the... so it's kind of bullshit, you know. So they're not about the and then, zen of it. And then, it's about the... you know, and then if you look at our country, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, we always talk about. Oh, we're just so great. Or like, meanwhile, we're fucking bombing seven different countries. Right. You know, we're very violent country unfortunately but so you know that that was always stuff that was kind of simmering underneath and then and then about eight or so years ago i started doing shows in europe okay and initially i thought uh i'm going to be learning more about these other countries yeah which i did but what i really started learning about more was my own country uh it's kind of like if you're in a bad relationship 
you can't see it, but all your friends can see it. And they're like, why are you with that person? They're horrible to you. And so you're, so and, you're, and, you're, like, <laughs> and you're like, no, they're great. What are you talking about? And then a few years later, you're broken up. Mm-hmm. And you can look back on your relationship and you're like, wow, that person was really bad to me. How come I didn't see that? So it was kind of like when I got away from the U.S., I got some perspective. It's like right. when you make a painting, you know, if you're, if you're working on it for like, you know, a week straight, you know, sometimes you need to take, you know, put it away. Don't look at it for two weeks and then look at it. You, then you can actually right. analyze so it. So going to France. So going the people to, of the people so, of Paris could go. Why are you with this country? And you go. Oh yeah. Why am I with? Yeah. This country? So so you know I'm just able to see things mm-hmm. a little more clearly. You know, and even my last book. You know, I've been living in Queens for nine years. And, That's right. And far out in Queens, not yeah. a gentrified Queens. No, you, know? you would drop me off in and the then, gentrified Queens on your way home. Right. That's right. And then um, I. Uh, so my last book, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that that book is actually about the corporatization and the capitalism and the gentrification of New York. And I, when I, because like three and a half years ago, I moved back to Manhattan and I hadn't lived in Manhattan in like about 10 years. And being out, even though I was working there at night, I wasn't living there. And so right. I really got to see the the corporatization and the the classism of New York City. Uh, so much more clearly than when you're in the middle of it, you know. Is that why? So, you so would, that's what that book is really about. Is that also why you? I would often see you and Ted Alexandro get involved, and in whether it was the Occupy movement. Oh or yeah, you protests. know. Well, you know, is Ted, that part Ted, of that? Ted, Ted's a good friend of mine. I've always been really into human rights issues. You know, right, I, going I, back I, to Alexa. I remember being like a four year old, and my mom was, you know, at at protests, you know, and I'm there with her, you know. Uh, so I, I I've always been. Well, and like I said, when I was 11, I was doing the, political cartoons about, on a, a Polish rights leader, yeah. you know, who was imprisoned by the Soviets, you know. So it's like I've always been – and, you know, and so in my act for for years, I I really didn't do the political stuff. And when I first started, though, I had a fair amount of political stuff. Oh. And then I kind of – but most of them were like, you know, some kind of thing that had happened. Right. And then George Bush throwing up in Japan. Well, it'd be before that. These would be you know Reagan yeah, or yeah. Uh, uh, or George Bush, the first George yeah. Bush. You know, uh, yeah, so yeah. he threw up on the Japanese. Right, right, right. Or or, or some like Gore jokes or something. Okay. Like that. So or, or Clinton jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, but I don't think I had. A, I think I had a Gore one. But I don't think I had a Clinton <laughs> one. But anyways, um, so, but you know, I like, I like to do jokes that have. You know that are that are current, mm-hmm. but are also timeless. So I kind of started. You know, I never really did. I, you know, I either I did none or very little of like any kind of like jokes that have like an expiration date on it. You know, so I hardly ever did pop culture stuff. Um, hardly ever did like like the political kind of stuff. So when I started doing, you know, jokes about the U.S. and different countries in the world, and and then also human rights issues. I really started to just do, even though you might call this stuff political, I, I don't really call it political because I view that as sort of like, hey, what did this candidate say? What did that candidate no. say? But, but as, or, you know, more like social commentary or, or just, you know, talking about the big issues, the big human rights issues, because those are kind of things where, okay, you can be talking about some issue that's a huge heated current issue, but it's also an issue that's kind of timeless, you know, because different you know, human rights violations, human rights issues, oppression. Those are things that have always been in the country and, you know, will most likely probably always be on the, in the country at some level, unfortunately. But so, 
so that's where that kind of stuff started coming in. And that was stuff that I think, you know, so around eight years ago, I started figuring out ways to talk about big, serious issues, but in a way that where they, it won't get dated, right. if you know what I'm saying. When did and, you decide to make it more of an ununofficial, official presidential platform, which is kind of the, yeah, I'm not the sure. underpinning I think, of this Netflix special? I think, special. you know, I have, I have some stuff from when I think it was Obama's first time running mm-hmm. where I have some of that, you know, all right. What about I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run for president. What ask me some questions? Yeah. You know, sort of running like a mock town hall kind right. of a thing. So I would guess I don't know around maybe ten years ago or something. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. You know. Um, so uh, did you did you worry that that uh, as the world champion that becoming president would be a downgrade? Yeah, I, I used to do jokes about <laughs> that. Actually, it doesn't really work anymore because I used to have a joke saying, you know, I actually won the election. This is the second time Obama won, mm-hmm. so I guess he was running against Romney. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I used to do a joke saying I actually won the last election, but I didn't feel like moving to a smaller house, you know. <laughs> and then, and then Obama, you know, he seems like a pretty cool guy. He'd have to move his kids to a different school. That's tough on kids. So I was like, dude, just, just, just stay another four years, and mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll just I'll, I, I got other stuff to do. I got karate tournaments. I got other stuff. So, right. You know, you do your thing. So yeah, I used to do that, but that joke doesn't really work now so much as well because Trump really is that kind of a guy. Right, you know where he actually is moving into. It, it actually is maybe a downgrade. For right, him, he you know yeah, on some level it doesn't have so, all the gold plated. Right, right. So, uh, but yeah, so I used to do that that kind of a thing. Yeah, I know one of the things we've talked on and off about over the years was when other uh, ad campaigns or TV shows would do characters similar to the world champion. Oh yeah, did that really bug you? Like, yeah, that stuff can bug me, especially if I. If I'm, if I'm really pretty certain that they're like, I remember the Chuck Norris, some of those Chuck Norris facts type jokes. Mm-hmm. If you look at their books, they actually have some of my jokes in there. They actually have a couple of Stephen Wright jokes in there too, and they just put Chuck Norris's name in there. Mm-hmm. And you know, so some of those things weren't written by anyone. You know, they had a website and you submit your own oh, jokes, right. kind of a thing, and then they then they took and their then they, and then they make millions of dollars. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so so it's like. So, yeah, no, I, I remember at the time some people thinking, you know, oh, Judah started stand-up after 30 Rock, after he started, like, season three of 30 Rock, Judah decided to make some extra money and try stand-up comedy, and then decided to model himself after the Chuck Norris jokes, I mean, or or after the, uh, you know, the Dos Equis guy, right. uh, you know, and I'm like, Jesus, you know, it's like, I mean, that Dos Equis thing, or one of their jokes the most was, interesting man in the world, world yeah. right, was very similar, like, one of my things, and mm-hmm. not, not just the character, but the jokes, right. and I'm like, you know, and, you know, there's so many TV shows and, you know, ad agencies where they have good people, but there's always one, two, or three mm-hmm. people who are really just got in there by kissing ass and are just... Uh, you know, they they have no problem uh, just, oh, here, I'll take this and I'll just uh, wiggle it around there a little bit. And, you know, it's like, come on, dude. You know, so. Have you gotten over that? Or Yeah, or you know, and I, I think that one of the ways I get over it is just by, well, it never feels good when someone's, you know, you know, stealing from you or abusing from you, and then and or then making they, money off of yeah, you. Yeah, and then maybe getting all the credit, and right. then people think you're the fraud when they're the fraud. Yeah. You know that that doesn't feel good, but you know ultimately you gotta like, you know, just just you know, there, there's worse things in the world, you know, and and you know, 
I'm a kind of a guy who's sometimes I'm an optimist, sometimes I'm a, I'm a pessimist, but I'm always like a fighter. And it's like, uh, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I've had so many, so many, so many people screw me over. So many things, you know, happen to me. It's like after a while, you're like, shit. Just you can't just let you can't let shit bother you. You just as an artist, you got to just put your shit out there. So that's why with this special, you know, because I, I should have had probably five or seven albums or specials out by now. And, you know, with a mix of, you know, my own personal hangups for not getting it done, as well as not liking the legality of specials I've been offered before in the contracts, mm-hmm. and then not liking some of the creative restrictions on some of the specials I've been offered before. Um, so that's why I've turned them down before. And this time I just was like, all right. I have to get this out, and I'm the one who has to do it. So I made it on my own and then, uh, you know, got over my – because I used to be too much of a – you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I record every show is like – and I usually never listen to it, but I have that idea. I'm going to record every show, listen to it, and then – but usually I get too depressed to listen to it uh, or, or watch it. And then – but I but I'm like OCD with keeping them. So, uh, so I got all these things. I never do anything with them. So I got over that mental hump of mm-hmm. being the perfectionist of like, um, like, like, oh, that, the, the, you know, out of a twenty minute bit, there, there might be, you know, fifteen seconds where it could have been a little better. Uh, so it's like instead of obsessing over that and then never using, it, it's like, all right, just, just fucking put it out there. It's, it's you don't have to go for the right. the perfection, perfection. You know, just, just if if you have a, you know, if if you like the set, just just put it out there. So that's you know, I had to get over those mental hangups to make this, and so it's been a good, uh, it's been a hard filmmaking process to get this done, but it's been it's been very good. And it so. also let you put those uh, camera and sound skills to use again. Exactly. That you used when you were 19 uh, filming Chris Rock. Uh, I never looked at it that way, but that wasn't my film. That was my friend Mike right. Dennis's film. Um, and that was filmed differently. So, yeah. uh, Speaking of films, I, I want to make sure I don't let you go before yeah. we talk about your film work. Because yeah. oh, okay. one of the things I've loved slash admired about you is, I mean, one, just the courage it must take to have to wear this world champion costume everywhere. Like, well, you're always. <laughs> you're why, is that, why does that take courage? I don't understand. What do you mean? Well, there's got to be times when you're just like, I wish I could just go walk around. What are the sun stage? I wear it. Well, I guess every time I see you, you're coming to or from stage. Right, so right. Yeah, I'm so always working always, when you see me. Yeah. So you're always around no, the I, city. Yeah, I always wear in, the in costume. I, I, yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. No. It's, so you're. So you have to almost every day yeah. be in costume. But but it, but the this, world champion. It's it's not a costume. It's 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 a reality. It's a way of life. That's what you have to understand. It's it's something that's been awarded to me by the World Champion Committee. It's it's an honor that the that the world cherishes. Sure. At the same time, though, when you when you do film work, you because you're always seen as the world champion, you disappear into your work a lot of times. Yeah, I haven't done a role like that in a while, but um, yeah. But, but being in I a do, movie allows you to. To really yeah. take on a different person. Yeah, and, and I like that. So you know, I like, you. Um, you know, stand-up is, is my main art form, you know, and the main thing I do, the main identity, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, the main, you know, the main medium of, right. of but, uh, you know, I, I like doing acting stuff, too. And I like doing stuff that is different than who I am, yeah. you know, and... 
you know, where you either create a character or, you know, a film like American Splendor where the character is, is based off of a real person right. and really trying to just sort of recreate that person and bring a life to it and, you know, make it come alive and make it be its own unique living creature with its own personal history and everything. Um, I like doing that stuff. And uh, it's sort of a sort of a mental and a physical escape from your own life. You is, know? is that how you pick your projects? Well, you know, I haven't had an acting agent in five years, and I haven't been going after acting stuff. Uh, uh, that's something I'm, I'm going to start getting back into a little bit, I think. Uh, but I, I only like doing stuff if it turns me on. You know, I don't... Uh, you know, it's you know I don't I don't like show business. Um, I like the art side of it. I don't like the business side of it, and so much of it is the business mm-hmm. side of it. Um, so it's it's difficult and it's hard to come across stuff that's right. that's quality. You know, whether it's the filmmaking or the writing, it's really hard to come across quality. So most stuff I'm not interested in. But yeah, I would love to do some. Some projects with some really interesting, unique filmmakers and and some interesting characters. I would love. Well, to your project there. Greenlight was an interesting. I really so. liked that movie. That was Feast. Yeah, I really was liked that Gulliger? movie. Was yeah, it was John Gulliger directed it. That was and, the last time I watched Project Greenlight. And the guys who wrote it were very good. Uh, and I got to play. It was a really cool, like funny, sad, and yeah. disgusting kind of character. I really liked. It. Now. But without an acting agent, how do you get involved in the world of Star Wars? Yeah, the Star Wars thing, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, this is, I think I'm in it for 0. 0.4 seconds. I've, I mean, it, I've tried, just, I've tried just, watching it, that scene that you're in, I've tried watching it multiple times. It's hard to. You've seen me in it, or, or no? I can't I, tell. I can show you where I am. I look a little different in it. Yeah. I, mean, I can Well, no, it. they don't put the world champion in a... <laughs> no, of course not. He would never... Although that would be funnier if you were there yeah. in the world champion. Yeah, well, that, that would show you that it's legit. Um, <laughs> no, I... J.J. Uh, Abrams I've known for years, and he's a great guy. I don't, I don't, I've seen him at the Comedy Cellar. Yeah, he was there, I think... Um, I think he was checking out Daryl. He was there to see Daryl Hammond one night. I think, uh, but very, very, or maybe he was he'd done some radio and then mm-hmm. came in there. I can't remember, but anyways, very nice guy. Um, I actually auditioned for him years ago for uh, what was the show? It was like an eight a spy agent show with Jennifer Garner. Oh, Alias. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I auditioned for. I think it was over fifteen years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. I auditioned for that. Yeah, that was like two thousand one. So, yeah, and. Uh, I, I didn't get it, but uh, I remember auditioning for him. And so, anyways, I, I'd known him. I, I got to know him a little bit after that, mm-hmm. a few years after that. But I never asked him for anything, and I, I don't. I'm. That's like the one thing I got ever. I think because I knew someone, and it was it was a tiny thing. You know, it was more of a just a a gag and for fun. But mm-hmm. it was. I'm, I'm like I said. I'm in it. I think point four seconds. Uh, but you're I, on set I, I, for longer I, I, than that. And me. I have no lines. Yeah, I'm on set a little longer than that. <laughs> so, anyways, I never asked him for anything. I, mm-hmm. I don't do that kind of a thing. But for this, it was it was announced that he got Star Wars. Uh-huh. And I contacted him, and I just, uh, I was like, dude, I will do anything in this movie. <laughs> I don't care what it is. Uh-huh. Anywhere on the planet, I'll show up. I'll do anything in it. I, I don't care, you know, if I'm yeah. in some giant alien costume. I don't care if, if you have a scene where there's 10,000 extras and they're just running, and I'll yeah. be one of those. I'll do stormtrooper anything in it. Yeah, anything in it. So, 
I they were filming in England, so I was like, okay, I got to book myself some gigs in England. Yeah. When they're filming, and then maybe I can right. Then you're in the neighborhood. Set one day, and I can just pop up and be an extra in the background. Yeah. And then, so I did that uh-huh. when they were going to be filming, and then and then the filming got halted, the production and got delayed, and then uh, yeah, I got a call like I don't know six months later saying. Uh, Hey, we're gonna be. There's this little little scene. You can be like a background extra kind of guy or whatever. Yeah. So I fucking did it. It worked out. It was great. <laughs> so I mean, I'm, I'm I'm an extra in it. It's not even a, a cameo, you know. Right. It's just, a, but for like point three seconds or whatever. And it was it was just cool as shit, man. I got to meet the guy who does the robotics control for BB-8, and because uh, I was really into special effects when I was a kid. I okay. thought I was going to do that for a while as a kid. You know, I used to do stop motion animation oh, nice. and stuff when I was in like you know eighth or ninth grade that's what i was like really into for a while so so i i love all that kind of you know the creature effect stuff so it, it was a real thrill being i was on set like a couple days it was a real thrill so did you get to meet like harrison ford or anybody like i did meet him really briefly it was just bizarre yeah <laughs> it, was, it was so weird because <laughs> he's in his hand solo outfit yeah. i'm like well yeah. on the millennium falcon just met harrison just met han solo pretty weird yeah it, it was super cool man it was uh that was a treat uh, well, so now that you finally do have your Netflix special, yes. now that you have it, you've accomplished this thing that you've been putting off for years and years. Yeah. Does that does this free you up to do anything now? Or yeah, I'm, well, I mean, right now I'm doing a lot of press for it, and uh, what I found out is that you know it's kind of like when you do new material. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to get stuck in a zone of just doing the material that you know kills, and you just, you know, but it's always the most fun when you do new stuff. So, you know, this special I did is 84 minutes. It's basically a, a feature-length stand-up performance film. Yeah. And uh, so now this this really frees me up to just grow my act even more. And then, and I'm eager to just to see where it takes me. You know, I, I'm not a... I'm a guy who does a lot of writing offstage, but I do just as much or more writing on stage. Um, so I'm eager to see where things go because i always you know i might have somewhat of a plan but really i don't it really happens as i'm doing it you know um so right now i'm i'm just doing you know all new stuff do you know some nights if you know if i'm doing you know three shows a night and one night i don't have any new stuff i might just do all crowd work you know just Mm -hmm. and by crowd work i mean all new crowd work you know right um so so it's fun you know and uh and the response has been great so far to the uh, the special, so I'm grateful for that. You know, people, you know, like on Twitter, people from all over the world just, you know, have been I've been raving about it the past couple of days. So people that's, are uh, finally able to see you be you on film. Well, and it's the world champion. Yeah, you know, the the world should know about the world champion. It yeah. shouldn't be uh, exclusive to just winners in America. Um, <laughs> so, but so yeah, so it's. Um, uh, I'm already thinking about my next one. I think my next one might be an all an all crowd work special. Oh, okay. Uh, and I might put that one out. I might do it quite soon. You know, so I'm not sure yet. But uh, yeah, it feels good to you know because this one was a, a lot of work of the filming. I I probably filmed for a year before I kind of just figured out how I want to film it and to technically film it the way I wanted to film right, it. Right, because it's insane. It was a lot of, so it's, it was, yeah. and it was all, it's a lot of trial and error. So, yeah. so most of the film is from this spring, you know, because uh, um, that's when I, that's when I actually kind of figured, 
I, you know, by trial and error, I, I finally knew what I was doing. You, you know, the, the first year I didn't really know what I was doing. So a lot of what I'm taping all the time is 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 also just to try to figure out how the fuck I want to do right. this. You know, it's like it's, it's like when you start stand up, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You just go up and give it a try. So when I started filming, you know, I had done some, some made some of my short films before. I've acted in tons of things. I, I just kind of figured it out. And then with the editing, I kind of figured it out after a year and a half or so like okay i think i know how to piece and make something now you know so it was um you know it's all part of the process so um, you know it's a very do-it-yourself kind of uh you know i wanted the film to look and feel you know real just raw and intimate you know make it just feel like you're just sitting in a dark room watching a show you know um because you know i i view stand-up as a very simple art form and uh i just felt for what i was doing I should just film it in a simple way that's just kind of honest and, and raw, you know. So uh, so that's what I did, you know, and that's how I kind of view, like I said, I hate the show business part of the networking. The I, I, That's totally not who I am when I'm against it. So I just try to focus on the art. So it was good to, to get over those humps and then just uh, put stuff out there because as an artist, that's what you should do is you, yeah. you make stuff, you put it out there, and then it's for the audience – it's for it's for them to do what they want with it, you know, and hopefully enjoy it, you know. So. Well, Judah, thanks for being raw and intimate with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That's the next title <laughs> of my special, Raw and Intimate with raw. Me. Uh, I look forward to seeing it. Cool. Thanks <laughs> Thank, so much, dude. Thanks, Judah. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. things first.